time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, January 16th, 2023. It is Martin Luther King Day, and we want to celebrate him and his life and also wish you all a very good Martin Luther King Day. Many of you are taking the day off. Some, some of the independent mortgage bankers are working. Of course, all the regulated institutions are closed, as well as the post office and the financial markets are all shut down for this, uh, for this holiday. So, um, you know, one of the things I remember about Martin Luther King is his I Have a Dream speech. It's one of the best. It's right up there with the Gettysburg Address that uh, President Lincoln gave after the Civil War. And as it was wrapping up, it was just very inspirational. And one of the parts of that speech, which I like so much that uh, Simon Sinek talks about, is he didn't say, I have a plan. He talked about, I have a dream. And I think I want to start off in honoring Dr. Martin Luther King is I think how he, I see how people who have a dream, who have a vision, Elon Musk has a dream of going and putting men, uh, human beings on Mars. What are the great things that are going on today? It's not that I have a plan. Certainly you need a plan, but it really starts with a dream. I ask you to consider your dream. What are you dreaming about? Because I think it's in our dreams that we change the world. And we have the ability to have an impact and will be our dreams are what show up. We're dead and gone. Certainly the case with MLK and uh, Elon Musk is still with us. So, and I don't, I think he will be for a good amount of time. But certainly his dreams are already impacting the world in ways we never thought. Anyway, we are very grateful. So I hope you all are having a Martin Luther King Day. And I would encourage you to think about what are you dreaming about? What, is your, what are your dreams? Have you forgot about them? There's one psychologist that said, uh, we fail, we start to, st- we stop dreaming to the degree that we uh, did when we we're younger at a very early age. I've got my co-host on this, Mark Helm. You're here with me today. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to and a happy Martin Luther King Day to you as well. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. When is it that kids, you're, you have a psychology background. Uh, when is it that people start dreaming? Is it around, you know, it's somewhere around third, fourth grade or something like that. People, it's, we, we, for whatever reason, humans stop dreaming like, I mean, the, the degree that they do. It starts dropping off at that point. Do you know what age that is, Mark, off the top of your head? Yeah, it, it's different from different folks. And uh, believe it or not, it's a byproduct of the uh, – of the social structure that people are raised in and whether they're uh, fostered through thinking about things and thinking about what could be or what, what if. Uh, I, I liken uh, my conversations I have with people all the time. I, I commonly use an expression, say, what if. Uh, when you meet people and you have great relationships with them and you do businesses with them and all this, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it ends. And, you know, 10 years later, you're thinking, what if, and you start dreaming about it. But, David, I'll give you something about dreams that's unique for me that uh, is uh, pretty interesting, and that is that uh, 
I basically still dream a lot, and I I not only solve problems in dreams, but mm-hmm. I plan for the next day in dreams, and I run scenarios in dreams. So I'll go to bed thinking it's something at night, and I have dreams that play things out and tell me how I'm going to handle a talk the next day, how I'm going to handle a hard situation the next day. It helps me lay out a, a chapter in a book, It it all kind of different things. So. Uh, it, it all depends on what your mindset is, and 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 if you're a person that explores the possibilities in life, yeah. and you think about them a lot during the day, you're going to be a much bigger dreamer than you are if you don't. Oh yeah, that's that's a really good point. It takes dreams to a, the whole discussion and the topic of dreams. I have a dream to a much bigger level, but it started with that. He started with that as a problem solving. Saw a problem, Dr. Martin Luther King did. And he, it, he, what really motivated him was that dream. And I think we get a lot of our, we solve a lot of the problems in the non-logic time and when our, in our downtime. And I think that's why it's just so important to take days off and reflect. I just got a really nice email from uh, David Hopper, one of my clients, and, and I was so grateful to receive it. And, uh, and he says, I'm just taking some time off today to reflect. And I'm so grateful. And he said some very kind, gracious words to me. And, uh, I think it's important to have those times to reflect. So, listeners, I hope you are taking time to reflect on the day and uh, this great leader of our nation. So, again, well, David, I, I'll give you a comment, yeah. a comment about that, sir, that I think is very important. I think you and I have talked about it numerous times, but when we do our, our, our consulting is one thing, but when we do our coaching and serve mm-hmm. on boards for companies and other things, it's uh, – it's dramatic the effect we have on people, and it's not so much we go on and do as we go on and inspire people and get people thinking right. about the process and thinking about what could be if. And it is wonderful, and I certainly the the amount of work that you and I do in consulting and is 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 really rewarding. But I really tell you that we talked about it many times before with the the coaching experience and the board experience and helping with. Uh, people establish direction for their companies and help them get over the humps on hard decisions, et cetera, are the most rewarding things I do in my career now because I, I feel like I get to bring my nearly 50 years of experience to bear just like you do, and we can mm-hmm. really help people move down the road. And uh, it's something I've enjoyed more, and I would never want to give that up. It's been so much uh, fulfillment for me to really feel like I'm uh, giving back after all these years in the industry. It is an honor and a joy to do that, and we do that together, and we uh, are very grateful to have you on the team, uh, Mark, and working on this and doing this together. It is so true, very rewarding. Something else that's rewarding is this podcast, which is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I want to say a special thank you to our to our sponsors, Candor Technology, the only automated underwriting system to earn a patent for its unique tech solution. Candor also optimizes the loan delivery workflow so operations can right-size for the last time. In other words, it's really focused on the underwriting. So you get your underwriters producing and doing a lot more volume. And it's a lot more goes into the Candor. Check it out by candor.com. Also, Finastra. Please check out finastra.com, F-I-N-A-S-T-R-A. 
They have a technology that sets custom decision parameters to help streamline the approval process while keeping your lending team compliant and efficient. Again, they work well. They have a big install base amongst the regulated institutions, and they're making great inroads into the IMB space. If you have not seen the Anastra solution, encourage you to, solutions, as there are many, encourage you to check up, uh, check them out by going to their website and getting a hold of some of their salespeople, one of their salespeople. Also, we have Form Free, our good friend Brent Chandler and Christy Moss, and the many others there at Form Free do a great job. Uh, they have a patent pending account check and passport products that opens the door to more inclusive credit decision by revealing each customer's true ability to, re- to pay. A really interesting thing. Listen to what we, we talked a lot about that on October 17th. Uh, 2022, when we had Brent on as a guest. And then also, Total Expert, the leading fintech software company that delivers purpose-built CRM, that is a purpose-built CRM, and has a customer state-of-the-art customer engagement platform for the modern financial institutions. I mean, there's so much technology and thought that goes into this. We had um, Dan Catanelli on. We also recently interviewed Joe Waylu. Uh, so check out the conversation we had with Dan, uh, Dan Catanelli on October 21st. Also, Simple, Simple Nexus does a great job with their software and overall technology vision. Again, listen to the vision that is with Ben Miller that he shared, as well with Lori Brewer. We had Ben Miller on in December 30th, 20, um, 2022, towards the end of the year. Check out that list, excuse me, check out that podcast and also check out the previous podcast with Simple Nexus by, that we recorded with Lori Brewer. Also want to thank the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, as well as Knowledge Coop, Mobility MMI, Modex, and Mortgage Advisory Tools, all of which are sponsors. Grateful for all of them. And a special thank you to Adam DeSantis, Les Parker, Matt Graham, David Kittle, Alice Alvey, and Alan Pollock, none of which can make the podcast because it's a holiday. Mark and I are here, though. We're looking forward to sharing with you some of the segments and interest and comments about what's going on in the marketplace. More on that in just a minute, but let's get started with the MBA Mortgage Minute with Adam DeSantis. Hi, I'm Adam DeSantis. This is the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Here's what you need to know. Earlier this month, the Federal Trade Commission announced a proposed rule that would ban the use of non-compete clauses in worker contracts, including for paid and unpaid employees, independent contractors, internships, and volunteer contracts. The rule would label the use of such clauses as an unfair method of competition for employers towards their workers. This rule is proposed under the FTC's rarely used Section 5 rulemaking authority to prevent unfair methods of competition. The novel use of this rulemaking authority may indicate the FTC's focus on certain business practices and its willingness to stop those practices through rulemaking instead of enforcement. NBA will monitor this proposal and may join broader efforts by employer groups in commenting on the proposal. And finally, don't forget... We're only one week away now from being in sunny Coronado Island for MBA's Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference. Register today at mba.org. We hope to see you there. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Adam DeSantis. Great job. The MBA, I wish we could be out there and joining. I'm registered for the conference. Again, can't make the conference because uh, my wife has surgery uh, while that conference is going on. So staying home to take care of her, my most important priority. Um, so, uh, 
please make it out there and be sure to say hi to everyone. Um, on my behalf, I would love to be there. It is such a fun conference and so much fun to see so many IMBers there. Also, we've got coming up is two conferences. The uh, Lenders One has their user conference on the same weekend, which is the first weekend in um, May, I believe. And when that is the um, first weekend of March, excuse me. And that is the... Uh, they're both of their user conferences are uh, lenders. One is in uh, Las Vegas and uh, TMC mortgage collaboratives is uh, in San Diego. Uh, would love to get their perspective um, on all that's going on out there. So, so much we could talk about, about all of that. Uh, but we've got Les Parker coming up here in just a minute. And also we're going to get him to dial in. Uh, and after his report, so we'll get his commentary. I love it when Les dials in and it being a holiday uh, program, it'll be good to get his thoughts on that. Uh, so let's get over to Les Parker and the macro view of the market with his TM spotlight. Also, we'll talk about how you can sign up for his newsletter. Very important that you do so. But Les, what do you have for us today? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Big bad wolf. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf of inflation, of inflation? Who's afraid of the big bad wolf of inflation now? The direction in rates depends on how the dollar and gold view the Federal Reserve's ability to take down inflation. Beyond gold's expected importance in 2023, the dollar will play a major role in determining the rise in rates. For rates to fall depends on the dollar's ability to sustain its dominance as the overwhelming currency of choice for transactions and safety around the world. For now, the 10-year yield is stuck between 380 and 340. So expect mortgage rates to stay within 25 basis points for the next few weeks as the market nervously trusts falling inflation. Come on, Fed, bring it on down. These views are my own. See a wolfproof house at tmspotlight.com. <laughs> Les Parker, Good to have you joining us. Before you get on here, Les, i got to tell everyone because I'll forget otherwise. You can check out Les Parker's TM Spotlight at tmspotlight.com. You can also sign up for the newsletter and get the paid version for free if you put in the word power for power seller. It's a great newsletter, and everyone should. It should be required reading for everyone. But Les Parker, good to have you join us. I want to get, I want to get Mark's commentary. That was another really good produced but also really informative uh, message, Mark. Before we get Les commenting on it and seeing him with some questions, your thoughts on what you just heard? I only have one thought, David. Uh, I need to sign. I need to be Les's agent. He is an economic rapper, and <laughs> I and, and that's R-A-P-P-E-R, not W-A-R-A-P-P-E-R, <laughs> and I want to be his agent because they're getting so good, I think I can sell him out there really well. I think so, too. That's very good. Les, thanks for dialing in. I appreciate it on this holiday. Yeah, well, the feds. What are we yeah. talking? What do you, say well, about you the got? Feds? You got Les. You got Parker. You yeah. got P A R K E R. <laughs> there he goes. He's saying your character. Right. We're discussing today. So, okay, let's talk about the Federal Reserve and uh, why why we can anticipate being stuck in this range that we're in currently for a little bit longer for the next couple of weeks. Um, what's going to drive us out of this range, and in which direction will it head when we come out? Well, right now, technically, it's still a bull market, so that's good. Yeah. Um, we should continue to make some progress there. Uh, 
it's hard to see a bear market emerging anytime soon, but some sideways action here makes some sense. Um, it's We're up against major support at 340. I think uh, Matt Graham has mentioned that level before. Uh, another good analyst I look at, he likes that level. We went through, we reached my objective, which was 348 in the 10-year. Um, okay. So 340 seems to be a, a good support level for the 10-year, and it's really, really hard for the 10-year to get above 380. So that kind of sandwiches us between 340, 380. Um, and that means mortgages should stay somewhat stable. Uh, it, I know <laughs> mortgage bankers would think 40 basis points in rate is not <laughs> necessarily stable, but uh, right. I think that mortgages being 25 basis points in rates, uh, you know, up or down 12 basis points from here, yeah. you know, an eight, eight yeah. up or up. Or up so, or down. you know, that should, yeah, up or down. <clears throat> That's yeah. what I kind of see near term. Um, yeah, long term uh, though. What, the, what do you mean? Why don't we start heading up, or is there any chance of us going a little bit lower here? I'm asking this for selfish reasons. I, I think Paul. there's a, yeah, I think there's an excellent chance for the market to go significantly lower. Okay. Um, and I think, I think by the end of this quarter, um, to see. Mortgage rates, it's kind of hard to say where primary rates are at right now, but they're near six, right? It's a little below that, a little above that, depending on who you're talking to and what type, you know, all the different conditions for what type of loans you're getting, et cetera. But, uh, you know, your underwriting uh, criteria and where you're building the house, things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> but if you, we just call it 6%, can we get to five and a half? Yes, I think so. I think we can beat a five and a half. You know, saw that five and a half to six range and find a new level there. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. And I think we can be there by the end of this quarter. That's encouraging. That's that's really encouraging, especially when I have to refinance a construction loan that I'm going to have to roll out here in the next couple of months. And we're wrapping up our big home improvement project here. So I've got to figure out that timing. It worked out well. So that's good. Very good. Thank you, Les. Well, I think I heard Mark. Mark, didn't you say last week that you were commenting about some of the high expense items in grocery shopping? I thought yes. it was you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think we're what what the what uh, loan officers and their borrowers are kind of struggling with right now is that you know, if you go to the grocery store, how much is steak costing now or how much is, you know, name it, your your favorite cereal? Um, and when you reflect on it, you think, wait a minute, this, like Mark said last week, I'm, that's almost double what I paid just a year or two ago. Yeah. And, just, and it had kind of crept up on us. I think that's why people think that rates have to be higher not lower. Mm -hmm. But that's not how um, investors view the world. The investors don't, and, and those that buy mortgage-backed securities, they don't look at the world in terms of what is inflation now. They look at what inflation will be. 
And some right. people say, well, how do you – nobody knows what it will be. Well, actually, we do know what it will be to a certain extent. Uh, and, Mark, you might – I think your, your thoughts on this might be really useful. Is um, A good example is on rents. About a year and a half ago, a number of people said inflation is going to be – core inflation is going to be going up a lot higher than what the market felt like. And so we started seeing this bear market in, in a vicious bear market. And people didn't understand, well, where's the inflation? Well, it got there. One of the reasons that people knew it was going to get there is they knew where rents were now. Right? They, this is a good example of an indicator being a lagging indicator. CPI is a lagging indicator. Right. So people knew where rents were back at that time. The now was what 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 I'm trying to say is historically when people were looking at present numbers, it wasn't reflected in CPI yet. Well, now that's in CPI, and so that has now even peaked, and rents are much lower than where CPI is saying they are. So we know that the core is drifting downward. And then there's other indicators that are faster that get into CPI, and those are also down. Mm -hmm. So what you have is in, investors look forward. Those who want to buy bonds, uh, whether it's treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, or other fixed income, they're looking at what will inflation be in the future. And if you look at one year out, the estimates are around 5%. And if you look three years out, the three-year ahead look is at 3%. And yet, where are we right now? I wish Matt Graham was here because he would yeah. be able to tell you very precisely what the last number was. And I, I just don't live in today. I live in tomorrow. Uh, right. Some people may say, isn't, isn't that a psychosis of some sort? <laughs> um, well, except so, the mortgage. Mark, yep. Mark, well, Mark why, why don't you comment on that, Mark, since you're the psychologist here. You can uh, tell us. <laughs> is, am I well, suffering from uh, some form of psychosis that I, I live in the future? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so at all, Les. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned a, a couple of things that hit near and dear to me this week. I was having a conversation with a young lady last night, and uh, she was talking about she went to buy uh, the supermarket to buy – some eggs, and uh, she was buying two of these 18 egg cartons they have now, not a dozen, but 18, and two of them, and they were 18.50 for the two cartons of eggs. And uh, so I started doing research on chickens and found out, you know, that the average chicken after a while can lay about uh, one egg a day, and then I read about how much it costs to feed them, and then I read about uh, how often, that how, how long they live, and, and, and three to four years and things like that and start looking at it. And I had a whole new understanding for a food product really quick, whether it was chicken we're eating or eggs we're eating and whatnot. But I think your point is, is well taken. And I want to, I want to kind of give you an example of something because you hit on it with rents earlier. Uh, throughout my career, I've been a serial investor in rental property, uh, not only commercial buildings, but uh, single family dwellings. And uh, what I found is um the average human on the street has no idea what makes up the cost to rent something. And I'm a, the better example there is commercial property. But um, 
you you have commercial property. Sometimes they have an override where you pay more for the utilities on commercial property, particularly water uh, is an example and sewage for commercial properties than you do for residential properties. That rolls into the cost for rent. Uh, the supply chain mess up that we've had for a number of years now due to COVID without being able to get parts, that's, that's caused air conditioner repairs to sometimes double and triple and things. So the rental market in our country is always lagging behind the costs associated with it. And it's, and it's usually uh, toward the year-end uh, year cycle that you're having when you own rental property. You look at some, my God, look at all the money I've spent this year. I'm not making any money. And then all of a sudden you've got to adjust and you got to be careful not to adjust because you don't want to run the people off you got because I've always subscribed to with rental property. It's always uh, better to rent all your property for a little, little lower rate to have it all rented because I found that a property deteriorates when it's not rented and you, you always got to possibly raise those rents on people. So the rental market is something that's, uh, it really has bewildered me, but people need to understand there's a lot more than just a landlord out there raising a rent. There, there's facts behind it and factors behind it that make it necessary for that to happen. And I'm going to share one more thing and I'll get off my soapbox today. Um, a new economic indicator came out about, uh, a week ago, and it was near and dear to me because it's on the reverse mortgage space, which I spent a large part of my last part of my career in, and it said that homeowner in this country for seniors has increased to $11.8 million. I think I got a trillion dollars, rather. I think I got that number right. Yeah, well, yep, I 11, heard that one. 11, high, high ever, $11.8 trillion. Well, you know, if those in the reverse mortgage industry see that number, I mean, they're they're going out and originators, and uh, they're uh, they're they're already buying their new cars. And then you got the people that need the loan. They see that number and say, "My God, the rates are going to come down because there's so much equity, and people are going to want to make those loans." And blah 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 blah. But the question I have for you, Les, that I'm going to bring out, and I'm going to make a point using this one, is economic indicators. I'm really frustrated in my life of how bad in economic indicators have a lot of ambiguity attached to them. Because to say that there's $11.8 trillion of senior equity, it makes it sound like everybody can go borrow money on their houses tomorrow. But where rates are, they are today. When rates are higher, you can get less money out of your house on a, uh, on a, on a reverse mortgage because it's a negative amortization loan and the interest rate controls a good bit what you can get out. That's one thing. The second tier is that uh, people – uh, the rates are up on on things, and and people have the credit piece, and the, some of their, their you know, fixed income and making their credit go up and whatnot, and that also eats up that equity. But the other thing is, a large portion of the people out there that have senior equity are like myself. I'm never going to take out a reverse mortgage. I don't need one. People, it's a need based product, and a lot of people aren't going to take it out. So to throw out a number out there, like it's 11.8 trillion dollars, the highest senior equity that ever exists. Without qualifiers as to what makes that up and what that really does for the industry, it's really a misnomer because it really projects that there's a there's a lot of uh, demand out there that's not really there, and uh, it really frustrates me. And I just wonder, Les, do you feel that same way about a, a lot of other economic forecasters that are out there? They're that same way that they're they're really kind of ambiguous, and you got to weed through them to get what you really should be considering for them when you're doing forecasts, et cetera, in the industry, because I know you do that all the time. Well, it actually swerves right into one of my pet peeves. The There's a 
old saying that says that liars figures figure and figures lie. And <laughs> when you just look at a chart or you just look at a single stat, occasionally a single number can be very enlightening. But normally it takes multiple numbers to see how enlightening it is. So let me, uh, let's take uh, rents. Let's stay on rents for a moment because I'm confident a lot of listeners uh, are very familiar with how the rents work, and they've seen that it's a large part of CPI. So the most recent CPI that came out with, uh, it hit a multi-decade high on month-to-month increases in shelter in December. It rose 0.8%. Hmm. So, and if you look at the last um, 12 months, we've been rising at 0.4 or higher for each one of those months. Whatever that averages out to, we'll just, we'll just say that means at the end of the year that rents are up about 10%. So that's not that far off, and people can feel it when they look at their rent renewals or if they're moving into a new area or they had to move from one place to another place. Uh, they feel it in the way their rents are going up. And then you have to say, well, why are rents going up? And that kind of speaks to what you were saying. Well, rents are going up because taxes are going up. So we've had property taxes deferred through the pandemic. We had to, and and before that, you had the financial crisis that also created issues. But we'll just talk about taxes. Well, taxes have been having to go up to address various different types of infrastructures, including uh, the movement by what they're talking about in Davos right now is ESG, the Environmental Social Governance, and how that they, are, they think that change is an existential threat to civilization and the earth. It's a problem, but it's not an existential threat. And they are pushing for people to that are on the margins, that are renting largely, that are having to pay for groceries, they now know because of how much it's been going up and because they want, the elites that are meeting in Davos, want to constrain food because they say that because of cows and what they affect on CO2 levels and also fertilizers, that they say we need to drop farming production by some percent. In in uh, in the Netherlands, they're mm-hmm. arbitrarily saying they want to cut it back 30 percent. And Netherlands is the highest and best use of fertilizers in the world by multiple times more efficient. So why would you cut back someone that's doing the best job in the world farming by 30 percent? So those type of things are putting pressure on prices that controlling, reducing fertilizers, reducing the amount of farming that you can do, reducing the cattle. Uh, that's one of the reasons that you kind of have two things going on. You have cattle prices dropping because they're slaughtering them and the others they, because they don't want to feed them these expensive grains. So, and that's that, – uh, 
So I, I went on many tangents there, many thoughts and ideas, but it speaks to this. Rents are up. They've been up uh, 0.4 or more over the last 12 months each month, and last month was at 8%. And yet, the if you look at rent equivalents, they uh, have already come off of their highs slightly, and that just means if you were owning, uh, owning a property, they convert you into a rent equivalent. And then if you look at the leading indicators on shelter inflation, it's moderated significantly and now is even declining according to Zillow rate index. So here's, here's my hobby horse, here's my pet peeve. If you look at a single stat or you look at a single graph, it may be very incomplete, not just partially. It's, it's incomplete. Very incomplete. You need context. You need context. And, and why are you looking at that number? If I look at right now, we're hitting historic levels, or they've come off just a little bit. But if I look at rapid-moving indicators, uh, some people call some of these flash indicators, it's off significantly. So for investors and for those of us that analyze it, we're always looking at where it's headed and where some of the mechanics of calculating items means it will be to these lower levels. And that's where investors live. They live on those those mm-hmm. trends of where we're headed, and that's why you can say inflation three years from now is expected to be 3%. I think right now we're at like 6.5 or maybe it's higher than that. And uh, in one year, they're expecting it to be 5. And, and if the Fed thinks that, that the rates have to go up above 5%. The Fed funds rate has to go above 5% because they want to be above inflation rates, which they see one year out is at 5%. Boy, there's so much there. Mark, do you want to comment before we move on to some of the other important topics? Well, I'm going to make one comment about that, and it's uh, it's my it's not a pet peeve. It's just a fact. Um, you know, <laughs> inflation happens, and it, it never comes down. It keeps going up and up and up. And I, when I was a kid growing up, we paid 23 cents a gallon price for uh, gas. Look what we pay now. So you see these things over years that pricing change and inflation goes up. Um, Interest rates go up, but they're periodic increases, and they go back down. They go up and they go back down. So it's really kind of funny that you've got something that's growing every year, inflation, that's controlling something that moves slightly up and slightly down and up a lot and up and down a, a lot based on what's happening with inflation. So we've got an uncontrollable kind of event that's happening that's affecting a controllable event, and it really makes it rough for people out there to live. I understand right now why people are having such a hard time. Uh, I really do. And I, 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 I just uh, I look at it, and I kind of shake my hand. I don't know the answer for it. It's been around for decades and centuries, how this world's been working, and it's always going to be that way. But it's really frustrating to me and trying to get a handle on it because – Inflation uh, is just something that's bewildered me over the years, why things had to go as high as they were, when in fact uh, it affects every piece of it. It's all the raw materials, it's all the in-product sales, it's everywhere along the supply chain. And it's uh, really hurting the lower-class income that we have in the country today, and I, I really feel sorry about that, but not a whole lot I can do about it. Yep. Well, um, 
one thing about the rent. I was thinking about last when you were talking about the rents and the, where they're at. Uh, what did you say they were going up at? Was that 1.8%? Yeah, point, point 0.8 is where it is I mean, in December, where it was in December. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But uh, the Zillow index have it, has it actually dropping. Um, it's, already on, it's, it's already crested and it's dropping. Well, the, 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 the good point for those of us in the mortgage industry creates another one of the most salient points. You, when you buy a home, you're into a fixed cost from that point on. Unless you're in a variable rate mortgage, you get a fixed rate 30-year mortgage. You're in it, and you have your mortgage payment, your rent, your, your housing expense is what I mean, uh, locked. And so it's a really good point that you bring this up. Uh, one of the things on chickens, I think it was a notable point, was let's do a podcast over the weekend. Do you know how many bar fires there have been? Interesting is it coincidence? There's been more chicken farms where places where chickens are either raised as fryers or layers, uh, and uh, have that hundreds of thousands of chickens have um, unfortunately met with an early demise. For I mean, it's almost suspicious to the rate it has. When you look at the statistics of it, it's just over the top. It was that. But what's, what's behind that? So I don't want to sound like I'm a conspiracist all of the time, but I do look at those kind of things at that data point. So inflation, I believe, well, is I'm not, What? I do want to – there isn't – I don't know about any – if they had to kill them because they needed to – I heard that there was – No, it was, it was all Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it was all tragic. Right, right. But, but uh, ESG, when people are going to be hearing that more and more, those of us in business have been hearing for it for, I don't know, probably 10 years. Uh, Larry Fink, that I used to know, I wouldn't know him today, but uh, the head of uh, BlackRock, um, he's been pushing this uh, for a long time, and now it's already in uh, all the big accounting firms. And the problem with it is that in trying to implement in these environmental things that they think have to be implemented, they are deliberately constraining supplies, and particularly yep. around food. And they, they, it's explicit. Uh, Deloitte just put out a major paper on uh, they have modeled out. Now, think about the absurdity of this for just a minute. They have modeled out climate for the next 50 years, and they've also merged it with economic models, and they've modeled out how the, all the global economies are going to work over the next 50 years. And they said, in order for life to be better 50 years from now, we have to have a, a – we have to constrain food supplies, and that will, in fact, hurt people. They know it. It's explicit in the Deloitte paper. Well, who's it going to hurt? It's going to hurt those that can't afford to pay the higher prices on these yep. food items. So you're essentially saying we're going to starve people to death indirectly just because, well, they, there wasn't enough money and, oh, well, we'll, we'll do yeah. this. And the, the argument in the paper is that we have to pay a price that's being paid at the lowest rungs of our, uh, of, you know, the, the poorest that's people, yeah. but they're yeah. going to have to pay the price so we can have a better life 50 years from now. And then yeah. it's those type of things that just drive people crazy and they don't even know it's happening to them that's what's also irritating they don't know it's happening to them and it's happening right. because these they don't even vote on it doesn't even get yeah. hearings in congress it doesn't get uh published in media it doesn't get 
why we're talking about it some, and, and there are people that talk about it. And there's mm-hmm. honest ways to talk about these things. You don't right. have to be just on one side and be labeled yeah. crazy. Why don't we just discuss the consequences? All right. Well, thank you. that's good. Les Parker, always thought-provoking when you do join yep. in. Great information. Great segment. <laughs> I really do love how you, Gary Ketchbone, uh, team up on it. And the music you find, it's several people have asked. I thought I'm going to ask that you could share it with us real quickly, and then we need to move on. We've got Adam. I mean, we've got uh, your good friend Alan Pollock dialed in. We want to get over to a tech update. But um, one of the thoughts is how do you come up with the music? Is it Do you do a lot of Googling or, I mean, amazing music selection? Well, my name's not Barney. Otherwise, it'd be Barney Google with those Google Googly R's. Oh, that's uh, bad. People yeah. can look look that up. Um, yeah. It's it, and uh, that's from Mitch Miller made those things. So you know I, that's a '50s thing. Uh, I grew up with a dad that liked that stuff. So uh, yeah. so there's dad jokes and there's also dad music. So I. Oh. Uh, I, yes, I do try to tie things in, uh, just like how I use uh, uh, the one that we did today, right? The, uh, yeah. will it huff and puff and blow your house down to the big bad wolf? Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Well, I, I'm saying you don't really need to be afraid of inflation as much as you are. If you're an investor and in mortgages, that's what I'm talking about. But we do need to be afraid of it day to day on how it's affecting costs. But those are ebbing and it's going to ebb more. I, I'll close with this. Uh, the doll, I keep mentioning gold in the dollar because uh, on, on my forecast, which is not uh, published, I usually publish in late January, early February. Um, I do think gold and, and dollar are critical for this year and specifically the dollar. And I mentioned it in the audio clip today the the reason on the dollar is the concerted effort by the central banks, including the Fed, uh, to try and dethrone the dollar from being the reverse, reserve yeah. currency to being one of many. And that's that's really – and it's hard to monitor it because the stats, kind of speaking to what Mark talked about, the stats aren't clear. Uh, it's – and, of course, there's reasons why the stats aren't clear. They do, it's supposed to only be for certain people to be able to see the stats and glean the stats. Uh, I have the privilege to see some of those things. But it's, um, it's hard. It's hard to kind of come in because they're, multi, they're more multi-tiered and multi-levels to, to get to some of these things. And, and you have to make some assumptions to get to them. But that's what, what the way loan officers and borrowers can pay attention is watch the value of the dollar against other major currencies. That's an okay index. It's not the best, but it's an okay mm-hmm. index to watch. And if you, it's currently at, say, 102. If it drops below 100, doesn't mean the end of the world. Right. Uh, we've been in the 80s before, you know, so it's that index. Uh, but if you see it going below 100, uh, then that probably means that uh, the dollar is not being viewed in the world as as safe as it used to be. Um, and also watch gold. If you start seeing it hitting new highs, going well above 2,000, uh, those things are kind of happening at the same time, which they probably will that, because the gold's trades in dollar currently. Um, those are the things to kind of watch. And if those are happening, then we could see in, in rates starting to rise again 
and maybe and probably pretty significantly. But if those stay fairly much tapped down and in within a nice range, uh, we have a good chance for another 50 basis points lower. And if the recession gets really, really bad, uh, then it could go a lot lower in rates, but that creates even more problems for originations, home building, and all. So let's not hope for that. But I yeah. do think that people should get used to 5 to 7%, just like yep. uh, in terms of mortgage rates. Right. Start getting Good. used to that. Go out and work hard and help people buy houses. That's exactly right. We were doing a lot of business right. at, these, at these levels previously. But thank you so much, Les Parker. Good to have you here. Yes, good talking with you guys. Bye. Thank you, you bet. Good, good. Normally we would have David Kittle, or we'd actually have Matt Graham coming in right now, and Matt would come in and give us an update. Again, the markets are closed. He's taking the day off for uh, MLK Day, as well as is Alice Alvey. Um, then we have David Kittle giving us a report as well. Uh, one thing on the mortgage loan originators, I was just talking to Keith Pulaski, who I'm going to be recording, Mark and I will be recording a podcast with here tomorrow that we'll be releasing in the upcoming weeks. Really excited about this one, about this interview. Uh, he said that the latest data from the MBA is that MLOs, 14% of all MLOs out there, mortgage loan originators are with their NMLS licensee, did not renew their license. I think that was really interesting. There's I mean, just some discouragement going on out there. We're getting rid of 14%. I think that number is going to go up dramatically from there. Let's get over to Alan Pollack. Good to have you. Alan, dial it in. You listen to your good friend, Les Parker, who you worked together with for many years, been good friends for many years, live in the same area, the Ponte Vedra Beach of Florida, Jackson, south of Jacksonville there. What do you got for a weekly tech update, my friend? What you got? Well, it's been kind of a quiet week. Um, I'll talk about some of the things going on, but – on the heels of last week's mini report where we talked about some of the things at the consumer electronics show that just happened in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, really? Um, but, yeah. There's some more weird tech as you, as you dive in deeper from, you know, uh, color changing cars to diagnostically being able to send your doctor information from your urine sample on your own, a smart toothbrush to a, this Oops, was great. Did we lose you? This is Alan? a, a smart cutting board. Mark, are you there? And the on my starts side? off by saying, who knew you needed a smart cutting board? But now you have the ability to watch people cut meat as you cut meat. So if you need need to have a smart cutting board, they're out there. And then actually, Dave, another one was a, a video camera that's built into your oven so you can watch your food cooking. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, so all That's the where they bring all the crazy, wacky stuff. I don't know how many of them will actually make it to the market. There's even a, a, a pet dryer. You can put your pet in this little machine, and it completely blows them out. So everything you need is out there. <laughs> That's um, amazing. Yeah, there's some new, new stuff yeah. coming out. It's pretty fun, pretty amazing. Um, there is uh, – I'm looking at some of the opportunities that uh, we have. Like, I'm, I'm watching football over the weekend, and I'm looking now they're starting to have some webcams or cams um, – webcams, I don't know what you call them, the cameras inside of the helmets of some of the players so as they can see the play, yeah. literally see what they're seeing. It's, it's crazy the amount of visibility, and I think one of the things that is a, is a casualty is this is a privacy. You know, I think we just have to get used to there's cameras somewhere constantly, either our devices, our cell phones listening to us and um, gathering up data as well as our cameras, unfortunately gathering things that we probably wish they wouldn't gather, but it's pretty interesting. 
uh, what's available to us. We, in the name of convenience, we continue That's to right. let drift. Good job. That's right. And, yeah, and it's hard to avoid some of those things. You know, you, you don't want to be part of it or have your information tracked. But at the end of the day, it's just – it's everywhere. So you have yeah. to limit yeah. it and understand your exposure and, and manage your risk that way. Um, but it is out there and it is everywhere. I think as – and Mark maybe even had commented it once before – but when you go to CVS and Walgreens, right, you just think you're going to buy some Sudafed or some cough drops, um, your information, you know, you put that account in to get that giant, you know, the, the size of those receipts is absolutely ridiculous. But the, um, the your information is being sold. And those coupons mm-hmm. that come out, when you use those coupons, they're tracking you, the personal information they have about you, what they've aggregated off the Internet or in other forms. And then what you buy and what you like and how often you do things, all of that, even from simple places like that, is all being tracked. So anyways, let's move on. Yeah, yes. let's talk about uh, – this is interesting about bots. So bots really – and, and not the chat bots and the things we've talked about in the past, but, you know, I see a lot about automation, right? Everybody's talking about – and there's a couple companies that popped up in our industry about bots, be able to automate everything and – have these bots just go to work and do what you need. Um, they're great, and they fit a purpose, and they will work well for you. But I truly, if you think about what we talked about last week, which was around, you know, needing to map out your process and, you know, understanding what the business need is and how does the software you have today work within that need and having those, you know, those those admin pros on your team that understand the business and the product and the vendors and the tech, bots are only going to do good if you have that in process. You can't just go off the shelf and buy some bots and plug them in. Um, you need to have the process and everything around it that goes with it. So keep that in mind. I had somebody reach out to me and ask about bots, so I just thought I'd plug that in there real quick. Yeah. So let's talk, David, about the Mortgage Collaborative real quick. So uh, they're a partner of ours. Well, if you remember a while back, we talked about their TNT Emerging Technology Fund. Um, right. Well, they just participated in a $1 million simple agreement for future equity uh, in a company called Trained, T-R-A-I-N-E-D. And it's funny, the A-I in the word trained is A capital. So the whole logo yeah. is in all capitals yeah. except for the A-I, which is pretty yeah. cool. Uh Anyways, they were founded in 2021. Uh, Their mission is to reduce costs, increase efficiencies, and even out the boom in the bus cycles in the mortgage industry, right? Don't don't all of our vendors hope to do so. They call their flagship product Mortgage Origination Responsible Intelligence, MORI. And at the end of the day, it it is like having some bots. They perform a number of automated steps. Uh, They remove a lot of labor-intensive process. Uh, And so uh, the Mortgage Collaborative just, just... just went through that process with them. By the way, Trained is a partnership between enterprise-level AI company Inplayo, if I'm pronouncing that right. They're a mid-sized independent mortgage lender, Success Mortgage Partners, and Freed, a former owner of a mid-sized independent mortgage lender and operating partner of TMC's Emerging Tech Fund. So if, you, if that was a mouthful, a bunch of people in the mortgage industry got together and said, hey, let's build some technology to remove the parts of it that we've always had stress and pain over. And that's exactly what they did, and they just received this investment from the uh, the mortgage collaborative. And isn't that how a lot of tech in our industry gets built? Yes, yeah. yeah. so true. 
So sorry, my computer but, just started decided to want to talk to me, and I sh- don't know how that happened. So I apologize for that. Speaking right over there, you're no, already. Okay. Yeah. So Wells Fargo, David, as we know, they announced they're pulling back from the mortgage lending business. Uh, they're still going to do some, but not nearly as much. I thought this was an interesting quote from the article. It said, banks were slow to adopt online instantaneous fintech loan origination platforms, is what Wells said, and that non-bank lenders were much quicker to offer easy access to mortgage online and help attract business. So from our end of the fence, meaning Mm -hmm. us lenders here, right? Are you an independent mortgage lender or are you a depository? Um, ultimately, investing in technology is huge. Now, obviously, Wells Fargo has a higher cost to operate their business. They have yep. higher exposure. Um, who knows if Especially they're, the if they're out for good. Oh gosh, yep. That's right. Are they out for a little while? And, you know, we've seen others do this, right? They pull back. Maybe maybe they sell off some assets. They reconfigure, restack the, the, the deck chairs, and then they come back to the market when it's the best time for them. So who knows? But uh, technology was definitely a component of that. David, also, I thought this was really interesting. You know, we don't talk so much about the relationships on the real estate side, on the technology end, right? We focus a lot just on our side. Well, REMAX, everyone knows who REMAX is, the hallmark group of companies. They've become the latest real estate brokerage to, to connect with 812. 812 is a company that streamlines the home financing process with their proprietary platform called Infinite or Infinite, so it's I-N-F-I-N, the, the number eight. And they're saying it's a one-stop solution to identify the best mortgage solution for the country's largest, largest pool of banks and alternative and private mortgage products. Sounds a little bit like LendingTree or Costco platform or any of those other things out there, right? So they have a captive audience and they created this technology that really helps match and find the best solution. Um, they've been out there since around 2018, and so that's where Remark and, and the Hallmark group of companies is headed. Um, as a lender, you may have some of these types of relationships. These are great tech relationships um, that you can make and be part of these platforms so that you get that exposure and, and, and that connectivity. So great little piece of content there. Uh, David, this is something I thought would be interesting. I don't agree with this article. I'm actually not going to mention the article, um, but the article talked about in 2023, what are we going to be focused on in technology? And this is interesting, you know, the, the, the individual that made this comment, um, he's not wrong, by the way, I just don't agree. Um, he said that he's get, we're going to see a lot of AI being used to automate standard tasks and freeing up time for underwriters. Um, and he also said that there's going to be a lot of low-code development, meaning that you don't need, you can use boilerplate templates, you don't need a lot of engineers to build things to do things. Um, I think we're, 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 not, we're not there yet. I think with where we're at right now, David, and in, in the fact that we're just trying to make more business and, and sustain operational excellence and keep costs down. By the way, I mean, I haven't seen the latest NBA report. I'm sure it's coming out soon. Costs are back up again. They're not going yeah. down. No, it's not. And, and yeah. we need to invest in more tech. Um, investing in more tech is definitely bots and automation, but AI is it's uh, it's hard to say that AI is making a huge way indirectly with lenders right now. AI and some of the tech platforms, but we know AI is kind of a broad stroke on technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to sound negative, folks. Um, it's just that I truly believe that the blocking and tackling that we need to do as an industry as lenders still is refining and making our process better. If rates truly are down a little bit, still historically low, right? But if rates are truly trending a little bit downward from their high of over 7%, 
and the, the houses are sitting on the market for an average of, let's say, 40 days, and people are kind of coming out of the woodworks and, and finally executing and saying they're ready for those properties. Um, and if things do continue to increase, I think, Les, I heard you make a comment before uh, that was really interesting, um, then, then we need to be preparing, right? And, and preparation is going to be the bolts, the nuts and bolts that make the process work. Technology is a big part of it, but technology is not going to replace humans yet, and it's not going to automate everything. You need humans to do the automation. You, you need humans right now to work with the automation. So, um, so keep that in mind. Uh, yep. A lot of interesting ways to think about that, and I know, I know a lot of people on the phone have probably had some implementations and tech fail or not give them what they thought they were going to get. So um, we, we need to focus more and do more, but it's not easy. Right now we're focusing on the business. So keep that in mind. And, uh, David, next week we're going to talk about some really interesting things. Oh, I'll, I'll do one quick throw out. Any of you that are trying to do formulas in Excel and you don't know how to do the formula or you don't have time to write the formula or you just want someone to write it for you, go to ExcelFormulaBot.com. In plain words, you can say, find the lowest number of this group and highlight it in red, and it'll write the formula for you, and you paste it in the cell, and you hit enter. It's oh, the coolest thing ever. Excel what? What is it called? It's called ExcelFormulaBot.com. Really? Yep. Yeah, very cool tech. I just wrote that down. Come. We'll go check that out. I'm always looking. I, I spend a lot of time in Excel, and I'm always writing down formulas. And I'm going, yeah, I wish I remember how to do this or that. That's good. That's really good. Alan, very good. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Overall, great. I mean, great information, 100%. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you so much. Mark, do you have any comments or thoughts you want to add? Yeah, I, to, uh, I, I, I do. I, I do, David. Uh, Alan, I have been a... Um, I don't believe everything I read on the internet, but I've used internet right. for research all the time, and I'm totally amazed sometimes with the information that's out there. So, a few days ago, I was uh, wondering. I said, "Just who has the largest number of bank branches out there?" And I pulled it up. I found that India does a bank in India, but I was looking at the United States, and the numbers I know are probably dated the moment they're put on the internet. But it showed that the yeah. largest branch network of banks in the country is Wells Fargo at about 4,800 branches, and about uh, 4,000 uh, for Bank of America, who's number two. And then I went over and looked at the extension of branches and looked at ATM machines, and I think Wells Fargo was behind, uh, <laughs> at least in this article, was behind uh, Bank of America. Wells Fargo had like uh, 12,000 ATMs, and, and uh, yeah. Bank of America had 16,000 ATMs. But, you know, I can walk into, and I won't mention a, a bank name here. Uh, people can speculate it's one of the two I'm talking about if they want to, but I won't mention a bank. But I walked into a branch in, in Houston, Texas, in the Woodlands, and I went in there, and there were two people in the teller window operating the drive-up window and the counter. Uh, there yeah. was one person in a reception mode, and there was one person uh, that was like their senior banker, four people in that branch. This branch had uh, 4,800 square feet because I asked. It had yeah. 17 or 18 offices in it, and they're in the process of closing their drive-up window because they said they're not getting that much drive-up traffic anymore, which I mm -hmm. uh, I buy that a little bit. A little bit I don't because my wife uses it all the time. I know a lot of people are doing online banking and moving money around and all that, but anyway, they're doing that. Uh, are, we, are we seeing a world uh, where – 
we're going to be forced to, whether we want to or not, to do electronic banking. Is, it, is that going to happen in my lifetime? I hope I've got a few years left. Is that going to happen in my lifetime? And is that I, – I, th- I happen to think that, you know, years ago, the reason why Wells Fargo was such a, a mortgage power was because of their branch locations. All those people walked in. They had the big sign saying mortgage loan. They didn't necessarily process it. They would take a base application and send it off to a processing center. And when you got 4,800 branches, that's a damn good footprint to originate mortgage loans. But – are we going to wake up one day and our whole world is going to be so different than it is today, even though it's changing every day? It looks like it's really getting ready to make some real hops and make some big changes, and I'm not sure they're all for the good. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting concept, and it's a problem in banking right now that you bring up. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of companies, uh, like big ones, for example, they're focusing on what they call branch transformation. And how do they transform to a digital first approach, but keep the the human to human contact? Um, and I don't think anyone solved the problem yet. They've been come solved, out with yeah. ITMs, which are which are intelligent ATMs. Um, they're looking for looking for ways. I think was it Capital One we saw in all those TV commercials that tried to make a cafe like a Starbucks that you can also do your banking. Um, so I I think. I, th- I think that's definitely something to still be solved, Mark. I think it's a great question you bring up, and and I think it's a change of the times, but but does it really change? Um, great question. Yeah. Is that Capital One concept of the uh, of the coffee shop still in effect in the country, do you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I never saw one, and I haven't seen the commercials recently, so I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll Google that. Yeah, I haven't seen the commercial, but I never saw one either. You know? Yeah, I've, I've I've seen several, and there's and some others are looking at trying to go that way. But a lot of that, what you see in an ad, is always not what you see in reality out there. But um, they have converted a number of them, and I've seen I've been in them in some of the bigger cities and and some areas of where there's high traffic areas where you just want to stop in. <clears throat> They're trying to get the traffic to come into back into the branches, and so much is being electronically done uh, is the preferred way to do it. Bank almost everyone has converted over that. Most everyone has. So anyway. We could go on and on about these trends. Thank you so much. We've run out of time for this podcast today. We're in fact we're slightly over, but Alan, thanks so much for dialing in. A lot of great content. Looking forward to um, having you back next week. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you, guys, as well. You bet. Mark, any closing comments as we close out this podcast? Well, I'll close it out with my infamous saying from earlier today: What if? We don't know what the what-ifs are in the world, and we found out today there's just so many uncertainties today at the end of the podcast as it was when we started, and maybe a few of our comments have given people the idea there's even more uncertainties than they know about. So the people that manage those uncertainties to their benefit are going to be the winners in our environment and the ones that let them go by and not take advantage of what's happening in our environment. Uh, Personal example, I think, I think a bank that has – 4,800 branches or 4,000 branches and doesn't use every one of those branch banks as an origination platform is crazy. That's my opinion for what it's worth. But apparently that's not the way people are going to go. So we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I think we're going to see a real transformation in that. One of the things I pay attention to is the Millennial Disruption Index. And of all the brands out there, the least loved brands by millennials and Gen Zers, guess which one it is? It was, it is banks. So big, large yep. national banks. So I think they're the ones that have to be very, very prudent in how they do about this. 
Mark, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, David. I, love, I checked out that ExcelFormulaBot.com already. I'm going to use it. It's already there. Alan did a great job uh, giving us an update. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate you. Have a great MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day. We are so grateful for the contribution that Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King made to our uh, nation here and, and civil rights and everything that we have to be yet so grateful for, yet have to work on. Have a great one, everyone. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a blessed day off. If you're enjoying it, remember, take time to dream. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.